Bible together and then just spend some time looking at uh, a portion of the Bible. And then we're going to worship as a response uh, to the word this morning and also going to be sharing communion together. So if you want to follow the reading for today, we've started a new series, both morning and in the evening, um, a new series. So in the morning, we're following through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And in the evening services, we've been uh, starting a new series in the prophet Isaiah. And we're in chapter 2 of both. So uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians, if you'd like to follow the reading, it will be on the screen or uh, in your Bibles in front of you, on your devices. Paul writes, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that we have the privilege of having it in our hands. We can read it at any time. And we thank you that in it we find the truth of who you are. We thank you that we find in it instruction for us as believers, for us as a church. We find revelation of your kingdom. But most of all, we find in your word that revelation that we are loved by you. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, just speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in chapter 2 of Ephesians, in this early um, part of that chapter, we have a a portrait of salvation. Um, I don't have any photo albums anymore. We have lots of photo albums uh, long ago. You know when you used to take pictures and you used to go to a shop and get them developed? things like that. Well, I don't do that anymore, and my photo album is basically my computer. So on, on a rolling screen, I've got every picture I've taken it since I had a digital camera. And it's sometimes amazing. I'll just take a few minutes sometimes and watch the slides go by, and uh, it reminds me to pray for people, and it reminds me that once they had dark hair, or even hair at all. And um, so some of them are quite funny, and they go back, you know, many, many years. But And in those um, pictures, I have uh, people and places and experiences. The portraits, because I did actually go to classes to learn how to take proper photos. I did. Kate was my teacher 
in Eveson College. And uh, we were set assignments, portraits, landscapes, the whole thing. Portraits, as you know, tend to be close-up shots of an individual, whereas the landscape shots tend to be a sort of wide angle. It can be panoramas or, or groups of people. But it, you might find it helpful as we just look at these first few verses to see Ephesians 2 as a kind of photo album of salvation. Verses 1 to 10, it would be a portrait. What the grace of God means for you and I as individuals. And then next time when we come back to it, verses 11 to 22 is more of a landscape picture of what grace means to the community, to humanity as a whole. So in these first 10 verses, um, we have an amazing summary of what the grace of God means for you and for me. It's jam-packed with truth and treasure. And we almost need to reread it a couple of times. I've reread it again and again uh, this week that we might be able to dive in it for treasure. So we're going to reread it again, uh, but this time in the message version, uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase. And uh, I'll read it from the screen. So it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our dead sin lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work and all we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do. The work we had better be doing. I don't know if you find that uh, helpful or not. I do sometimes read uh, different passages in different versions just to, to help. So when, when Paul starts this, this chapter, obviously he didn't read in chapters. That first chapter, he took that deep breath and he, he just exhaled the gospel. Chapter 1 of Ephesians is the most amazing passage. But here he takes another big breath because these first 10 verses are just one sentence again. Uh, for a time, he's just forgotten punctuality at all, you know. Punctuation. <laughs> See, that's what happens when I go off my notes. He's forgotten, what was it? Punctuation. That's the one. That's right. That's right. I do know, really. So he starts with, have you, has anyone ever asked you this? There's, there's good news and bad news. Which do you want first? Has anyone asked you that? It, me, whenever anyone asks me that, I always go bad news first. Is that anyone else? Anyone else go good news first? I want the bad news to take me home with. 
No, no, we always, yeah. Oh, one. Oh, Michael. There we go. Well, Paul starts with the bad news. If you didn't notice it, there was a little bit of bad news to begin with. As for you, you were dead. Did you, did you not hear that? As for you, you were dead. Oh, uh, gosh. This portrait starts with some dark colors in the background. Not many of us would begin our testimonies in this way. Tell me how you became a Christian. Well, do you know what? I was dead. And now I'm alive. Well, may, maybe that would be a good way to start because I guarantee someone's going to say, What? <laughs> what do you mean? And you say, well, come with me to Ephesians chapter 2. No, you won't do that. Paul insists it's true. We were not just lost and needed to be found. We weren't just drowning and needed a life belt. We weren't just sick and needed healing. We weren't just sleeping and needed waking up. He says we were dead. Not so much in need of medicine, but a miracle. And salvation, yes, it is a rescue. But it's more than a rescue. It's a raising from the dead. Paul says that our spiritual condition outside of Jesus Christ is that of a corpse. Bear in mind, this is not an evangelistic tract that Paul is writing here. He's writing to believers. Because most of us, before we came to know Jesus, would not agree with this at all. We wouldn't agree with it at all. I remember when the first person, it was actually my eldest brother who became a Christian, told me that I was a sinner. He told me a few other things as well. And I told him where to shove it because I didn't believe a word he was saying. I still don't think his evangelism strategy was the best, but it did get a reaction from me. Paul is saying to those believers, you need to realize this, because if, unless you realize this, you will not appreciate what God has done for you. Our spiritual condition outside of Christ is to be outside of the life of God, and therefore dead. Even Jesus, when he tells the story of the prodigal son, he tells a story when the father says, this son of mine was what? He was dead. And now he's alive. Verses 2 and 3, the bad news gets even badder. I know that's terrible uh, language, but the color gets a little bit darker. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, he says. Again. Sounds really bleak, doesn't it? We were dead because we had fallen short. Sins is falling short of the glory of God. Sins is not being perfect. I do find that most people agree that if they don't like the word sin. If you're a sinner. No, I'm not a sinner. Are you perfect? No, I'm not perfect. That's what sin means. Falling short of the glory of God. Missing the mark. And Paul paints this devastating picture of the human condition, of my condition, of your condition, without God. Is you were dead in your sins because you were separated from God. And before God intervened on our behalf, we were subject to the thinking of the world. That's how we thought. 
Because that's what we had taken in from the world. We thought the way the world thought. We were subject to the sinful desires of the flesh, says Paul, going our own way, going the wrong way. All the impulses and longings of our self-centered life. Who was at the center of our life before Jesus became the center of our lives? Well, we might like to say, well, it was this, so and so and so. If we're really honest, it would have been us. Sometimes if I'm really honest, I still take that place. And Paul paints this bleak picture that we were just following the ways of the world. And he even describes that we were following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And what he means by that, he's talking about the devil, Satan. This picture is getting darker and darker. He's saying, before Jesus saved you, whose camp were you in? You were actually in the devil's camp. Although, if he had said that to you, you'd have said, no way. I'm in that middle bit. You know, I'm not, not, I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm certainly not on the other side. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle bit. But Paul actually says there is no middle bit. Jesus says it too, if you're for me. If you're not for me, you're against me. So before we were children by adoption of God, before we were filled with the Holy Spirit, before we'd received the forgiveness and been washed clean and become new creations, we were alienated from God and as unresponsive to God as a corpse. But we were loved. And this is the wonderful thing. Even in that state, we were loved by God. Even in our rebellious ways, thinking rebellious thoughts about God, He so loved us. And wanted to bring us to life. Our rebellion was our choice. But we don't choose to be saved. God chooses us. I know it doesn't seem that at the time. When you first come to know Jesus and you think, yeah, I've chosen to follow Jesus. I've become a follower of Jesus. It's only then that you look back and realize that actually God chose you in the first place. He's done everything to make it possible. All you've had to do is say, yes, please. I give you my sin. I give you my life. All of it. It's all we have to do. We were powerless and in desperate need. And even worse, most of us didn't know it. I didn't know it. Not only choosing the wrong direction, but remaining cheerfully confident that we were on the right path all along. And those wacky Christians have got it all wrong. We live in a world where human beings left to ourselves choose the wrong direction. And Paul says that without God, we're not only lost and broken and sinful, but we're dead. But he talks about real life being the resurrection life. And suddenly, thank God, 
the picture changes. This portrait changes. The dark colors fade into the background. And Paul starts painting in the most vivid, vibrant colors that you can imagine. And this wonderful verse for, but God. But God. And Paul wants to show the sheer, almost unbelievable, magnificent kindness, mercy, love, and grace of God. But God, he says, out of his great love for us, has reversed our condition. We were once dead, but now we're alive. It is by grace you have been saved. Um, The Greek word that he uses is is in a perfect participle. I don't know much about, what was the word? Grammar. Grammar and things like that. But I'm told it means a completed action. There is nothing to add. Nothing to add. What Jesus has done, it's finished. This salvation that he speaks about, Paul, is available to anybody because of what Jesus has done. And we who've received it, those Ephesians who are reading this letter, and we who read it again, we've been made alive with Christ. We've been raised from the dead. We've been given a new life that nothing can destroy. Not even death. Because we will live forever with Jesus. We had nothing to offer except of our sin. Nothing to commend us except that we were made by God in love. He loved us even when we were dead in our sins. And God does this By sending his one and only son to die for us. God comes to die for us. That we might live. That we might not perish. But have eternal life. To defeat sin and death and all the works of the evil one. So what prompted God? What prompted God to do that for you, for me, for this world? Paul just says it's his love. His great love for you. Yeah, you. Before you dismiss it and say, yeah, he loves everyone else on the planet. No, he loves you. That's what he did for you. And he uses these amazing words of mercy and grace. We're familiar with the word justice. Justice is, is getting what you deserve. But mercy is an amazing word. It's, it's not getting what you deserve. And grace is even better because it's actually getting something that we never could deserve, never could earn. So his mercy reaches the helpless. His love triumphs over his judgment and his grace is lavished upon us in love. And if Paul stopped there, it would be enough to send us out praising God for the rest of this day. Because once we were dead and now we're alive. Once we were lost, now we've been found. Once we were blind, but now we can see. And all those things are true because of Jesus and his great love for you and me. But there's more. This portrait isn't finished yet. He goes on. This grace of God, his unmerited favor towards you, doesn't merely just bring us forgiveness. But unites us with Christ. Once we were far away from Jesus, now 
because of this grace. We are united with Christ. In his death and resurrection, he has invited us to be in him. Paul, Paul uses this phrase a lot, in Christ. And Paul also, always if you read his writings, he, he sees the death and resurrection of Jesus linked to the ascension and exaltation of Jesus as one event. Not just Jesus was uh, crucified on the cross and then a different event, he was raised from the dead and then a different event, he ascended into heaven and then a different event, he's exalted. Paul sees that as one thing. Jesus died, rose, ascended, is exalted. And we are too because we're included in Christ. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we would still be dead in our transgressions and our sins. And for all anybody would know, death is the only road there is. But because of Jesus, there is another road. And that includes our inheritance in this new creation that Jesus is bringing about. Jesus came to actually bring a new creation. And it's begun. And it will one day be complete when he comes again and joins heaven and earth together as that new creation. And that's our inheritance. We'll have new bodies at the resurrection. It's our, which seems a bit weird. Because I know when you read this, well, attached to planet earth. I am not seated in heavenly realms right now. I don't feel like I am. And, but Paul's saying that is, that's true. You're in Christ Jesus, and Christ is risen and ascended and exalted. He leaves the address in chapter 1. He writes to the Ephesians, the Christians in Ephesus, and in Christ Jesus. That's their address. I live in Chipping Camden, and I live in Christ Jesus. I know there's a subtle difference in that, but that's what he's wanting us to understand, that you are in Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, you are loved and you are in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. That's amazingly good news, that you can't separate it. You can wander away from Christ. Yes, maybe you could renounce Christ, but that is a huge thing. But most of us worry that we've let God down or, or we've hurt God or we haven't been what we should have been. That doesn't separate you from God because you come back to him and again and again and say, thank you for your amazing love and mercy and grace towards us. For Paul, real life is that eternal life that we are inheriting. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. The Holy Spirit who lives in us is that guarantee. The implications of this is mind-blowing, if we were to think about it. It means we have a relationship with Almighty God. We have an immediate access to our Heavenly Father. We are seated mysteriously in the heavenly realms, already with Him. And we share His authority. We can speak in His name. And all this will be revealed as it is in the coming age. It will be revealed. But this is truth now. This is, this is our inheritance now. This is us now. 
verses 8 to 10, Paul finishes off this portrait of salvation by going back and bit highlighting and underlining. I don't know if you do that as well. You know, you get your glowy yellow marker out and you go back and you underline things. And what he underlines is, it's all about God's grace. It's all about God. Don't think for a moment that, actually, God chose me, do you know, because he needed me. You know, I am such a gift to God. I like the way Eugene Peterson said it. If we were involved in it, we'd start bragging about it. Do you know what, this salvation? That's partly what I did. And Paul says, please understand, you had nothing to do with it. You were lost. You were dead. And corpses don't get involved in that kind of stuff. It was all of God's grace. Not any human work, so no one can boast. It's the gift of God. Not any contribution from us. We can't even boast about our faith because the faith that we receive is a gift from God. And we only see that afterwards as well. Yeah, I've put my trust in Christ. Yeah, but he called you. It's that mystery, isn't it? Our salvation is entirely holy God's work, and out of that, we seek to live for God. The works that God calls us to do is, is to be lived out of gratitude. Not, not to sort of earn his favor, get in his good books. It's just to live out in gratitude. And so we come to the end of this first portrait of salvation. Came across this story as I was reading around this subject of a famous uh, college principal. And uh, as he was leaving his college, uh, all the previous principals had their portraits painted. So he had his portrait painted. And he was so impressed with the, the portrait of himself in terms of, the, in terms of the, the, the painter. And he said these words as he spoke when it was unveiled. People will not ask when they see this picture, who's that man? They will ask, who painted that picture? And that's what Paul means when he says, we are God's handiwork. We are a painting that God is painting. And in what God is doing in us, we are giving glory to him. He's the artist. All we had to do was sit. Paul is writing to believers in Ephesus. I don't think for a moment he would have used this as an evangelistic strategy in Athens and other places. So I'm not encouraging you to go out and tell people they're dead and they're dead in their sins and, you know, but I'm encouraging you to be a living witness of the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, and to realize that that was your predicament. Because when we realize that, we understand the full glory of God's grace towards us. And we can begin to worship. And we can begin to lay our lives down in gratitude. If you hear anything I've said this morning and hear this, you are loved by God. Because you were dead and he came 
to give you life. Shall we pray together? I'm going to ask Sally and the band to come and uh, lead us in worship as we respond to this word together.